0: We are back on What The Funk with one of my all-time favorite colleagues, Mr. Jimmy Sebastian. Jimmy, we haven't talked in a little while. I know we've kind of exchanged a few emails. Um, You were at Seven Lakes before I started and were there afterwards. You must have put in like almost a decade.
1: Yeah. Hey, Jeremy. Um, It's great to see you. Uh, Good morning and uh, good to be on the What The Funk uh, podcast I um, mean, yes. Yeah. I, you know, we, we spent a lot of time together at Seven Lakes. I joined in 2012 and left in 2021. So about nine and a half years is, is uh, it's a long time. Man,
0: we're going to have to dig into to that because things changed so much in that time. You, you, when you started, what were there like 10 people? there? That's right.
1: Yeah. About 12, I would say.
0: And you were yeah. instrumental in, in bringing me on in my first interview process. You were always really skeptical of salespeople, which I appreciate. So I think I did enough to win you over. But uh, in our, in the early days there, you and I actually spent a lot of time together. You were you were customer facing. I think you did a lot of the internal management, um, but were also very good in front of customers. You picked up oil and gas very quickly. So those were some of my kind of favorite days in my Seven Lakes experience was getting on the road with you doing work with you, burning the midnight oil for sure. And then I think as the company grew a little bit, you, know, you actually started having more defined roles, right? You, you sort of stepped into a chief product officer role. I was kind of heading up sales, individual contributor on the, the sales side. And then since then you, you've been at Albertsons and doing some sort of executive level um, uh, analytics work. But I wanna go way, way before that. Like mm-hmm. who's Jimmy Sebastian? Where, where are you from? how did you end up in California? where did you go to school? What led to us first crossing paths in 2012? And I want to hear the full story of who Jimmy Sebastian is.
1: Sounds great, Jeremy. Um, I will start at the beginning. So I'm originally from India, uh, the south of India, a state called Kerala, which is like at the southernmost west tip of India. And um, but... As I was growing up, and my father had a transferable job. So, you know, he would stay in a place for about three, four years and then we would get transferred. So, I did travel all over South and the East of India. So, I was in places like Calcutta, um, <clears throat> Madras, Chennai, as it's called now, um, and Cochin, which is my hometown um, in India. Okay. And um, as I grew up, uh, you know, in metros, so I did get a good understanding of the diversity of India, and went to school, so finished high school, and then went to my um, engineering degree at IIT Madras, which is one of the premier institutes um, in India uh, for engineering. And then where I met a bunch of great people, and, you know, still connected to them, and it's been great. Uh, And actually, the the peer group is a a really great part of um, what the college life is all about. And then I did my MBA shortly thereafter from the Indian Institute of Management in Calcutta. Um, And then from there on, I decided that, you know, as I was looking at majors or areas to go into, I decided that, um, you know, whether it was a choice between finance or information technology, for example, And uh, so sales and marketing were not really my great forte. So I I kind of gravitated towards these areas. And anyway, so I I chose uh, information technology and went into data, data warehousing, data mining. So I joined PricewaterhouseCoopers um, in their consulting division for data warehousing and data mining in Calcutta. And then from there on, I moved, shifted to Bangalore and I had a stint with a company called I2, uh, which is uh, now called Blue Yonder. So it's a supply chain planning company. Okay. It's used by many, you know, fine, uh, retail, manufacturing and other sectors too. For their supply chain, demand planning, forecasting, uh, inventory planning, etc. Uh, and so that was a, it's a great time. I was consulting in the Asia Pacific region in Singapore and Thailand. Um, so that was the first time I was going outside India. It was a, it's a great experience to other cultures and other cuisines. So it was great. And then um, at, at that time, around that time, I met my wife, um, and after a few months, we decided to get married. And in, um, and after get, getting married in two thousand two, you know, I joined the same company as my wife, which is a UST, and uh, they uh, they are a information services provider, such as uh, you can think of it as a small TCS like the Tata Consulting or Infosys, a smaller yeah. company similar to that. Yep. But pros, like, yes, exactly, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. so, so that space. and so all along, I was building my career around data uh, as a consultant, as a as an analyst and a project manager, um and then um came so by the time I was already in l a, and uh, you know the family grew, we had kids, and we are now settled in um, this suburb of l a called the Simi Valley, which is uh, about forty yeah. miles northwest uh, of l a x right and um yeah continued my journey along uh, the data side and that's when and i was leading the PI practices uh, and uh, you know the operation a ticket master. that's when the entrepreneurial bug bit me uh, like i really wanted to do something um which is with a much smaller company you know starting off things really wanted to build something together and wanted to put my data and analytics background. Uh, to some good use and that's how uh, you know shiva rajagopalan who is the ceo when he contacted me uh, if we were a very small company at that time uh, it primarily services and like i said earlier about 12 people uh, and uh, i joined and i you know but i didn't join thinking that it will continue the consulting business i wanted to build a products company so my intention was always to come in and build the products company so after we um, you know, when we were there, we had a few clients, which was, um, you know, Bill Barrett uh, in Denver, you know, at that time that the company was one of our customers. Um, oh, yeah. And we had a few couple of customers in Houston as well. Um, right. And um, then uh, as the company grew uh, in about 2015, we, uh, I said, like the, the organic growth of the company, and I think at that time is when you joined. So I, I forget which yeah. year you joined, Jeremy. Um, maybe it was twenty thirteen. Yes, that's yeah, right. So after a while, we you know Shiva was like doing all the sales, and I said that's not really sustainable, and then he also felt that right. We needed uh, we needed somebody to have the sales focus, right? So that's how we you know you, you joined, and I, and I I don't know if you had that impression, but I didn't have anything uh, or skeptical about salespeople. I was quite happy to bring somebody focus because. Um, you know, then Shiva can focus on other areas. I mean, he he needed the bandwidth, uh, but we did. Um, I think we did work together, or I, maybe the, in the interview process, I was like really probing, but I, I forget. I don't remember any of that <laughs> those conversations. But no, what I I, do- I I think,
0: yeah. I I so there's there's so much going on here that I, I have yeah. to rewind a little bit. I I don't think that I think that so. What Seven Lakes was doing was not new for you because you'd been in the data reporting and analytics space outside of oil and gas and saw how transferable it was. For me and really any salesperson coming in, it was sort of revolutionary. All of the reporting and integration at that point was was point to point. That sort of spaghetti architecture. Da- data management and data warehousing was, was a little bit of a foreign concept outside of really just the majors in oil and gas. So it wasn't just a, um, you know, definitely wasn't a product sale, right? It was a very consultative sale that resulted in a services engagement. And I do think it took a level of not product pushing, right? Like very consultative, um, very proactive. Uh, And it went really well. I mean, 2013 was kind of the first year. For me, culturally, it it was a little bit different, right? Like I was the only white guy in the company, everywhere else that I'd worked before that, everybody was a white guy, especially in oil and gas, besides maybe a few of the developers in the back office, you'd have some, some diversity. But for me, um, seven lakes was really eye opening. to, uh, a, it was a lot of, um, first generation people in the U S like yourself that Mm -hmm. really had a tireless work ethic and a real passion to succeed. And, and at a small company, that can be a blessing and a curse. A blessing because you can scale very fast. One employee could be equal to 1.5 employees at, at competitive organizations. But at the same time, because it's such a small company, you bring in a, a Hari Dutt or you bring in a Shrivan or, or a Simone, where, where can they go, right? There's only so much of a ceiling where you can grow within a small organization that you basically have to sort of hire yourself, promote yourself by creating a new product line. Right. Exactly. Or or a different yeah. area or discipline. And, and I think a lot of people followed your lead on that because I saw you hands on um, creating certain products. But go, let's go back to moving to the U.S. So, so you, mm-hmm. you were in you were in Calcutta. Right. You were doing a little bit of work in, in Thailand. So how, how and, and why Los Angeles? Like, did you move over there for work? Did you get a work visa? Like, how did this all work out where all of a sudden you wake up one day and you, you're living in Simi Valley outside of L.A.?
1: yeah yeah um interesting question so the i, I did agree uh, you know my always had the idea of uh coming over to the us um you know even as a, I was working in india and um uh, originally actually i was recruited to i2 or um the supply chain company to be placed in dallas um right so i was kind of set on coming over here and uh, that's when the dot-com bubble burst or the the aftermath of the dot-com bubble bursting led to a lot of like retrenchments and uh, all of, you know, a tough situation as far as recruiting is concerned in the US, right? So the company was not able to get me to the US. And so then that's where I started, ended up exploring the APAC region, right? But Um, um, since I had that in mind, so the, ne- the next opportunity I got with UST, so they had uh, big offices and uh, we were consulting, doing a lot of analytics consulting for Anthem Blue Cross, which is the health insurer.
0: Okay. Um, at
1: that time, it was called WellPoint, sure. right? So then that's how we um, came over to the US. And uh, also the uh, icing on the cake was that my wife and I were in the same location. Usually when, you know, working couples come over um, from India Uh, Because of the work situation, one may be in one city and then the other person is in a different city, and then you have to do a lot of traveling, right? And so this was really convenient and fortunate for us uh, that we were both in LA and, you know, the customer base or the, the client base and the number of projects here were many, so then we could work on it. And so, you know, we both came here. Working in different departments for Anthem Blue Cross, or consulting for Anthem Blue Cross while being part of USD. So that was the that was the story behind coming over. Uh, and initially, when we uh, because of the client location being here, we we came to a place called Woodland Hills, which is in the San Fernando Valley. It's like about thirty minutes from where, are, where I am right now. And after a while, as the family grew, I decided to move to a little bit of a less urban or quieter place called Simi Valley, and that's where we are.
0: Yeah, it it's very nice out there. My my first exposure to uh, Thousand Oaks, Westlake Village, Simi Valley was when I was interviewing with Seven Lakes and and I remember sitting in traffic, of course, I think I'm on the, the 101 or the the whatever, the the 5 or the 405. One of those highways yeah. where you're just sitting. or yeah, 405 is to get the worst highway in the world
1: or in the, world, the US.
0: <laughs> it's, it's so so bad but i remember thinking this could be kind of nice like uh working you know i'm i'm always going on business trips to the oil cities so mm-hmm. i think i live in the best one with with denver being being that but then you know you've got houston you've got some calgary you've got oklahoma those places are fine but it's like oh you know what now i can sprinkle in some los angeles into this you know maybe maybe go down to hollywood for an afternoon maybe um take one of the canyon roads and and go down to uh, Malibu and stick my yeah. feet in the sand on a business trip. Like th- this seems kind of cool. So that was, that was pretty fun for me. And and I think you also get exposed to a, um, a different talent pool just in, in such a large city. Um, but you you're still there. You still live there. And in 2012, right? So did you know shiva before this i mean there's a billion people in india or whatever i'm guessing yeah
1: (laughs) it's it's funny how you uh uh, it's, it's an interesting point and actually a very coincidental thing so shiva contacted me over linkedin right so he was um as you were mentioning he was looking for talent in the region and analytics talent and then he just found me on linkedin um he was going by maybe uh looking at the my educational background you know, So, okay, somebody from IIT, he already knows that they have gone through a certain level of rigor in terms of their academics and uh, you know, abilities, right? So that's probably how he found me, or uh, he found me through LinkedIn. And uh, as we, uh, you know, and it turned out he and later as we started talking, it turned out that he and I had gone to the same um, middle schools. Uh, he and I, my, my dad and his dad knew each other. The fa- you know the families knew each other, oh. but I had not met his his parents right at that time. But the families knew each other, uh, and uh, we also lived, or the families also lived back in India, uh, not far from each other. Uh, and so after while we were in school together, we were not in the same year, and I, I had moved on and to uh, you know to go to a different city, but he was still there, and so we our paths didn't really cross when we were in school. Or, or in elementary, middle school and high school. But later, you know, it all came together. And so that also gave me a level of comfort in that, okay, right. you know, this is somebody, and even, probably even him, that, okay, this is somebody that uh, the families know each other. So be, because you're trusting this person, and even I'm as I'm joining, you know, we are looking at, and I'm thinking, should I join this company? I don't know. It's, it's a small company. It's unknown. What do we do? Or how do we know? And so I think from his yeah. perspective and from my perspective, it gave us some a lot of a comfort factor that the families knew each other and we had such a long history, uh, even though we did not really talk uh, or meet at that time.
0: Huh. That's, yeah. that's no, really cool.
1: It's too coincident.
0: <laughs> I, I don't think I knew that. I mean, I, I guess I knew that there was some... I would assume that when he was looking, he he was looking for somebody who was who had IIT experience. I didn't yeah. know the the rest... IIT plus business intelligence and analytics... That exactly makes sense. And of exactly. course, then, then Los Angeles. So you're narrowing the pool down a little bit, but now you're yeah. talking about even like deeper connections. And I think at the yeah. time that you joined, like you said, two, maybe three clients, but, but I knew the company had something. It, it was mm. pretty well established at that point, at least with all the work that Seven Lakes was doing with Lynn, exactly. there was a lot to go to market with. It was far yeah. less purely conceptual, uh, conceptual I should say and and mm-hmm. really some some unique things that frankly companies still don't have a great handle on today, whether it be like um, remember the well profitability dashboard the profit yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah that, that we built, built together yes yeah
0: that, that basically all also, of the,
1: yeah all of the profitability analysis from multiple perspectives like financial perspective operational perspective right. and then also looking at the you know the the leases and everything and then then considering all those factors to figure out which ones we would keep operating, right? Or the operators should keep operating and which ones should yeah. probably like abandon or shut down.
0: It was really, one of the companies I work with now, Xeno Technologies, does something similar and incorporates some of the elements that we had, like almost like the LOS slider. Like mm-hmm. if you say, okay, well, if natural gas prices go up or down, then how does this, uh, potentially affect my lease operating statement, but the, these are things that we were doing ten years ago that I don't think the industry still has a full grasp on now. And and the challenge, of course, is analytics and data. And I want to kind of transition to talking about that, at least as as I see it, which is the narrow lens of oil and gas. Anything that you do from an analytics and reporting standpoint is really the end result of a successful data management project. And and I'm curious how you view some of the differences in your career that you've seen at companies like Ticketmaster, who have true big data at Albertsons, which is retail, how do how do things differ from oil and gas? Or would you say, like to distill it down, it's actually somewhat similar. Like I'm curious, from your perspective as a as a data and analytics expert, um, how do these industries look similar? How are they completely different? Uh, how are things handled? Is it the same? Is it vastly unique per industry? Like. Give me some of what's in your brain from being an analytics and data guy in multiple different industries.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a great question. There's actually a lot, lot of different angles to look at, but let me try to address some uh, the key ones, I think. All of these, the commonalities that they do have data, um, right, obviously, and it's, but the volume and the variety and the type of data is different, right? In, um, in oil and gas, you do j- generate a lot of data, you know, while let's say you, uh, you do some operations like drilling, real-time drilling operations, right? Or uh, real-time monitoring, um, such as SCADA. And in those areas is where you l- generate a lot of data, and, but then you don't, you, you try to synthesize it and, and try to, um, or summarize it, and then to take certain key information, extract some information out of it, which upon which you can act. Because usually sensors uh, if some, some, some uh, sensor is looking at how a well is performing uh, let's say a pressure uh, sensor, then you, most of the time you're getting a lot of data, but th- there is no action to be taken or there's no no problem. and you don't need to store all that data right so so you only need to look for anomalies and then you take that right In other a- uh, industries like retail um, at Albertson's, like you have millions of transactions happening every day. So there is a lot of different yeah. data and you do have to take each and every uh, you know input there. Because it's talking about the customer, what they are buying, where they are buying, um, you know, what are the products that they are buying together. So the information that needs to be processed um, and the variety of it is different. And in Ticketmaster, again, it's thinking about um, the consumer behavior, like you know, what concerts are you going to, right? Uh, how are you engaging with? And sure. the value value of that may be to different customers. Um uh, or, or or different the kinds of Ticketmaster, but such as the promoters or the arenas or the, uh, the artist groups, right? They may want to understand their fans better. So there's a lot of like value-added monetization type of work that you can extract out of a company's data and then provide it. So uh, let's put it this way: one way, one difference that I see is that the kind of data and what you do with it in terms of processing the volume is different. And the second is, you know, how do you internally, externally monetize that data? is different. In typically in oil and gas, we don't really monetize that data. We use it for internal purposes, right? And on the production right. side, the volume of data is still small. And even there, uh, our, our focus is, you know, how do we keep operating you make sure that our assets are performing and producing to their, the fullest potential, right? This is the focus of the data. But what a common theme, uh, Jeremy, and um, where I think, like you said, There are still problems. I mean, whatever we were working on 10 years ago, those problems still exist. And the reason they exist is that companies are not not, uh, figured out the right way to utilize this data for their business purposes, right? If the business analytics and business intelligence is fully integrated into the day-to-day operations of the company... Of uh, you know somebody, let's say there's a, an analyst that's looking at it, a production analyst, right? if they are able to really, really leverage the data that is being produced by the systems and the analytics and utilize it in their data decision making the right way, then the company reaps great rewards. And this is similar for other industries Definitely. too, right? And where most companies fail is that there's a lot of uh, tools. There's, you know, you'll find you know, every company has business intelligence tools, reporting analytics, dashboards. But how well are they used in the company, and how well is the use of um, analytics, as uh, you know, embedded into the psyche of the company or into their day-to-day operations? That's where you know uh, what dif- or what companies fail or they succeed, and that's what differentiates a great operator from a mediocre or poor operator.
0: I love that. So I, I think that that is a. I mean, you did it in about two and a half minutes, which is pretty impressive. But but yes, you're you're looking for outliers. You're looking for anomalies. You're looking for for spikes and decreases. Whereas the data that you're collecting from retail or or Ticketmaster, for example, is for future marketing to that person. Yeah, that, that's yeah. not what you do in oil and gas, right? You're yeah. looking how to. um, Can Can I take the the information that I have here and become a little bit more predictive in the future. How can I avoid some of these pitfalls going forward or assuming that they're going to happen? How can I reduce the amount of time that then the well will go down because we know it's going to happen. Let's become predictive with it. Um, You, you actually kind of planted a seed in my head, which is interesting. So I'm not sure if you observed this as much toward the end of your time at seven lakes, but Earlier on in my time at Seven Lakes, there was a ton of Spotfire. Like Spotfire had really dominated the analytics world. And Tim, my former podcast partner, uh, worked at Tibcom, was one of the initial demo guys for Spotfire. So near mm-hmm. here to, to this podcast and to, to where his heart was on the analytics side. But there was kind of a shift I started to see around 2017, 2018, away from using Spotfire for all of your analytics and reporting and doing more with Power BI. And mm-hmm. my thought was that was probably because it was just cheaper. Um, and then maybe in some ways it was easier for the back office, the accountants, the finance people, some of the engineers to digest that information in a more simplistic platform like Power BI. But sort of listening to what you said, I almost wonder if there's a lack of confidence or or comfort in the data itself that the end user of that data is saying, well, why do I need a really expensive analytics platform if I don't fully trust or view the data as the source of truth, right? Yeah. And I think this all sort of brings it back to, and you were big on this too, and part of why Seven Lakes went down this whole path of the, uh, you know, I forget what it was called, but the, uh, well, the, the master data management project, which was mm-hmm. sort of like c- clients started asking about that, but that's really where it all starts. For a company that has five thousand wells, right, And, and then you have various different source systems, none of whom who talk to each other, and then different people in the office living in silos, not talking to each other, it becomes very difficult to reconcile all of your data and trust the data across the organization, and that can lead to lots of different challenges. But one of the things I always admired and appreciated with you, I think, because of your background in data, was we can build anything beautiful on the front end in any of the tools that you want or in an HTML5 dashboard, but we have to get down to the data. So some of the fuzzy logic and some of the integration API capabilities that you and your team created were really some of the most valuable things that Seven Lakes had in that early kind of rapid growth um, analytics phase. And then, of course, like you said, the money came in, you were able to successfully raise, I think it was like a $20 million Series A or something like that. And yes. Then push forward into actually productizing some of the things. So talk to me a little bit about the journey of you're running like a consulting services organization. Money comes in. Now we want SaaS revenue. We don't care as much about the consulting revenue. What then was your focus and your pivot to kind of like take what had become like a pretty decent sized company at that point from being a consulting firm to now being a products company? Like, what were some of the things that were challenging that you enjoyed about that? And how did that kind of fundamentally change the, the organization that you were running, going from services to, to product-centric?
1: Right. So um, as we were going through this journey of equipping companies with analytics, right, like Lin Energy, like Bill Barrett, like Concho, and others, what we found, Jeremy, and, and in many cases, we discovered it together, you and I, as we would talk to customers, is that you know the the root cause is that there is no data or there's poor data capture or there's a data quality problem right because garbage in garbage out as the cliche goes right so if there was a beautiful spotify dashboard but there was no uh, uh, you know source data system which was like good and the source systems were not talking to each other or cross-referenced so then the reports and dashboards that you know people spend millions on were not very really useful right and that's where analytics was failing, right? And so the, as we discovered these problems, in some cases we discovered that uh, they needed a source system for data capture. In some some other uh, cases we discovered they needed a master data management system. They need the integration tools. They need data quality tools and using, and, and in some cases they also needed workflow tools for people to collaborate, right? Like, so during a pre spud planning process, they needed to collaborate. They, you know, it's, some of that data was being generated there you know, tracking permits, right? Tracking, uh, keeping track of all the checklists uh, that that are needed for pre-sport planning. So, what we discovered was there is a huge opportunity in creating analytics and uh, workflows, so business workflow solutions, right? So that's what we started putting together. But then, as we started conceptualizing and working on some of those, what I had been pushing towards and realizing, um, along with you and Shiva, is that. We couldn't do this just organically growing, right? We could take the money that's coming from uh, projects and then put it towards it because we needed to really build some of these capabilities and the, the window of opportunity would could close pretty quickly because uh, the competitors were also you know, coming in and, and trying to uh, get into some of these areas. So we needed to build out our product pretty quickly. And for that, we needed external capital infusion, right? So that's where I really, I, I pushed Shiva say, Hey, you know, we need to, we can, can do this. We need um, uh, money from, uh, we, we need funding. We need a, a capital raise, and we need to also build out our team, right? In terms of the um, having more focused revenue generation, more focused marketing, you know, uh, HR and yeah. finance together as we put together our team. And we also need to grow beyond the U.S. to have development centers in other places like India. Right, and yes. so for all yes. of this this could not be handled with uh, just the money coming in from services, and so that's where we went out into the market looking for partners, uh, private equity, and uh, venture capital type of partners to raise that money in order that we address these business and market opportunities pretty quickly, right, and build out all of these product lines,
0: and, and really um, made a pretty significant impact in doing so. The the concept of, you know. Seven Lakes to me at its core was always sort of a uh, a company that started with the data, like mm-hmm. some of the most beautiful and aesthetically pleasing visuals, whether it be what FDG was, which then became join um, with with some of the dashboards, even with things like AFE workflow, which were more sort of user intensive as opposed to looking beautiful, but still look and feel was very comfortable. The The UX that Seven Lakes put forward was awesome, but to me, at its core, Seven Lakes really understood the data uh, that mattered to people. And I think a lot of credit goes to you and, and your team for placing such an emphasis on that. But it was it was really like the shift, I thought, was, was pretty fascinating because there had been products built. Like FDG was there, but it was really sort of like, okay, the first step is instead of just going out in the field and sending your lease operators out and keying things in by on a computer we're actually going to give you an ipad to do that with, right and that was like a revolutionary concept 10 years ago believe it or not and then it was okay well we can automatically pull in your skated data and it's going to come in in a different color right okay that's cool and then it was we're actually going to help you operate and route by exception that was a big step right it's taking whatever data you had and then starting to uberize the oil field make recommendations of where you can go and where you should go and what makes sense. And instead of just driving in the same route every single day, let's actually be a little bit more responsive to what's happening in the field and then route people appropriately. And I think something, you, you probably haven't seen this as much, but there's a, a big emphasis now on on emissions, right? So one mm-hmm. of my clients called EarthView, really fascinating company, young CEO. Uh, I, I see them poised for significant growth or, or really being able to do whatever they want but they put like methane emissions sensors on every pad. So you put like four of these sensors on each pad and, and they're, they're trying to shift the paradigm in the same way that we did with operating by exception. It's right now, there's basically a fire truck that oil and gas companies are driving around in the field, looking to put out a fire. They're looking for smoke and then trying to react to it. And this is basically like, well, wouldn't it make sense if we put like smoke alarms in the field so that instead yeah. of just having to drive around in a square, you can actually kind of route that fire truck directly to where it needs to go. And companies are quickly coming along to this. And I think that's, a, that's an industry that's poised for growth. And even the reporting, um, whether it be to federal or internal or investor centric from an emissions analytics standpoint, has a lot of legs to it and a lot of room to grow. But, but I think back on that time, and it established a really important baseline for me from, okay, let's capture the data. And now let's actually be a little bit more predictive and responsive to the data that we're seeing. Yes. And that to me was just fundamentally cool. I don't see every company doing that. And my theory on that is I don't think that they necessarily know how to use that data. Mm -hmm. How were you able to come up with these algorithms and, and kind of thoughts in the background to take so much of this data? And then start to Uberize or become predictive with it in the field. Was that from experience that you and Sachin and Hari and others had had? Or was that just kind of fundamental to you for, okay, we have the data, now what do we do with it?
1: Yeah. So um, it, it was a, an evolution, uh, Jeremy. And, and really um, utilizing some of the uh, industry trends or our background you know, in other industries, I think that's where... Uh, you know, if you think about it, you know, I did not have an oil and gas background coming in to the company, sure. right? And as did some of the others, but like some other people like Srivan and Hari, they, you know, they came in from Schlumberger and Exxon, so they did have that background. Sure. So we were a good mix of people with background in oil and gas and also background in other industries or like, in, let's say, more broader industry trends uh, that we were tuned to. Sure. And what we did was just a, a, you know, staying very tuned to what was happening in the market and what was happening in the software uh, industry as an overall trends and new functionality being put up. So we started off with analytics, then saying analytics needs to be embedded in workflows, then looking at addressing some of the basic data quality challenges, right? And then with FTG, looking at, okay, now this data needs to be captured. You know, it's, it's that there is an issue in the data capture, the um, what do you call it, the grease sheets were getting smudged, right? And that information was not coming in correctly. So that's where, how can we provide uh, an automated interface or, or a, a user-friendly interface um, to uh, pumpers, right? And field technicians, so they can capture some of this data. And then the evolution was now yeah, we right. have, uh, you know, we can integrate and bring in data from SCADA, like you said. So, you know, going from manual input to bringing in SCADA data. And then we were, the next step we were looking at was how can we, read sensors um, and get that data through NFC, right? So that it gets integrated. So at every point in time, what we looked at was looking at all of the latest technology. And I think Shiva was also a, a big on this. And you know, it was just That's great right. that we were lock in step on that. That we were looking at, okay, what was Amazon doing? What was Google doing, right? And these are not companies in the oil and gas space. And what new technologies are they putting it out? And then how can we leverage some of that in our products, right? And so yeah. having that broader view and um, you know, uh, experience outside of uh, oil and gas also helped in bringing these new technologies and continuously evolving our product. And then thinking of once we have NFC, um, then we think of how do we integrate um, our production planning and then look at predictive. You know, By that time, I think uh, about 2016 and 17 onwards, we had uh, machine learning. And predictive analytics yeah. becoming really big, yep. and but yes. in oil and gas, other than drilling, they were not really utilizing a lot of that. Right? So that is a, a greenfield opportunity that we saw. Saying we should be able to take these predictive uh, algorithms, and the algorithms are really actually available um, from as packages um, or to be customized from uh, vendors like Google or Amazon or AWS, for example. So we work with Pinaki, yep. who was our chief architect, in order to take some of those and then plug them onto the oil and gas data, and then be able to say, predict downtime. You know, that's a, that's a and we actually right. refer to some of the latest papers put out, um, you know, from USC and other universities by, you know, petroleum engineering researchers on, you know, what should some of these parameters be for predictive analytics? So we were really doing some cutting edge stuff in terms of reading those papers and and looking at those algorithms and then trying to code them into a product. So, so it was like a good mix of, External technology, keeping up with the latest research, and then always looking out for the customer and creating a product which was at the cutting edge. And, and this is where that uh, our, even our smaller customers could leverage some of this latest technology, even though they did not have a huge budget like an Exxon or a Chevron.
0: Yes. Yeah. And it in some ways, it leveled the playing field, just, just yes. even having that level of reporting. One of the things I think that Seven Lakes did really well from... A, an innovation side of things is you feel the request from a customer to build something and and you mm-hmm. build it but in the process of building it you also start to understand their business and the industry a little bit more and then come with a recommendation for a phase two right of well now we've built your report but you want to yeah. know what you can do with this report you can do this and and i think yeah. that's where the disruption and and innovation starts to to take place um curious from from your standpoint like you so you've been out of you were in oil and gas for almost ten years. Mm-hmm. Now you're you're out. You've been in kind of the retail space. What do you think lies ahead for you? Do, you? do you think that you may end up back in oil and gas on the analytics side? Do you plan to start your own consulting firm? You think you'll continue in retail? I'm sure it's going to be data and analytics in some capacity for you. But like when you look at your your go forward plan, like what does it look like? What what what's in the cards for you, Jimmy?
1: Yeah. Uh, so it's something to. That I uh, end up doing uh, in data and product. So data and product is my uh, or data was what I was uh, you know originally about, and then product is something that I really fell in love with while at Seven Lakes, building the company, building the product suite, right? So um, the job at Albertsons came about because it was at the confluence of data product. You know I was do- doing doing data products, man, you know creation and management, creating template uh, uh, platforms for data products. So whatever i do in the future and i'm looking at different options like consulting um like working with uh larger corporates and never say never to oil and gas so i'm also uh keeping my eyes open and and uh you know options open there too but it'll some be something to do with data and product and hopefully the confluence of the two where um you know i can help companies either as a, a consultant or as a you know an executive working in them to really leverage their data assets to the maximum, monetize them better, uh, and to the best possible uh, uh, you know ability, if that is what uh, the the market demands. But also, I'm all about building simple, intuitive products, and and this is something that you know we both you know, with your help and with others, you know, we honed over at Seven Lakes, where we were trying to build very complex technology but present a simple interface to the customers so that it was easily adopted and that's what actually differentiated our products from some of our competitors that how easily could people uh, with almost zero training adopt these products and really learn them on the go right so so i'm about building simple intuitive products that help companies leverage their data to the maximum
0: well, you're you're one of the the best I've ever met at at doing that. And I remember, if you remember, Ken Dalton at Devin. Mm. Right? Oh yeah. yeah. What he what he said, and, and sort of the challenge he threw to you and and to Simone and and Hurry and your team in general was like, it has to be, people need to get to their information in three clicks or less than seven seconds, otherwise yes. they start to check. In. Yes. Yes. So, don't so worry, like, really you're talking nice about. Very high standards. And you're talking about massive amounts of data points in a fairly robust dashboard, but I have to be able to click into my region, into my, well, into my key metric Um, in seven seconds or three clicks. It's like, okay, man, but you were able to do that. And it's, it's a, it's a skill that I appreciate more and more as time goes on. It has to be sort of like, look at Google, right? If you look at Google in and of itself, it's like, well, it's just a search engine, right? But then you think about everything that's going on behind the scenes to make it work the way that it does. um, That's why they have some of the best developers in the world. And you always have to stay ahead because the next Bing or whoever is always trying to come and and eat your lunch. Um, Something that I like to do on What the Funk, and I'm going to put you on the spot. I did not prepare you for this, but I want (laughs) to do a little rapid fire, little rapid fire questions. And you have to kind of give me the first thing that comes to mind so sounds exciting we go. we'll start
1: with...
0: <laughs> <me>. <laughs> we'll start with your favorite city to travel to in the u.s denver ah okay we'll take it. <laughs> how about how about your favorite city to travel to internationally
1: uh london
0: okay all right i can see you there yeah my right. brother Georgia lives there something. yeah he does Nice, um, uh, Northern Indian or Southern Indian cuisine?
1: Southern Indian. No hesitation. No. How about
0: um, you're an analytics guy. Let's see how you go with this. Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Michael Jordan. Love it. You're also, you know, my age. So we're a little bit older. We had enough time to see Jordan. I I go yeah. with that. I love it. Um. <laughs> Some of the, we'll, we'll jump off of that topic. I love how you answered everything quickly. You didn't have to deliberate. Um, some of the people that you kind of mentored have, have kind of have built some really nice careers for themselves. I'm thinking people like Naresh Panda and, and Hurry and, and some of these others. Um, talk about what it was like to, to mentor some very skill, hard, skilled, hard-charging resources to balance. I know where you want to get to, but I still need to keep you focused today. That's kind of a management hack that I think is really important because Seven Lakes had immensely talented, hardworking people. And I remember this woman; I think her name was Sushma. Sushma G. She mm. said to Shiva at one point, we were in a meeting with her. She said, "You got to be careful because all these IIT guys they want to run their own company too." Right? <laughs> so, how do you, how do you balance keeping people happy in the today with also balancing a level of excitement for you know future? Career success and attainment? Because I think you did a good job of that. What was right. your secret?
1: Right. So, um, my secret really was thinking about it from their perspective, um, Jeremy, in that, uh, like you said, all of these folks have immense potential. They're extremely smart. Uh, I mean, most of them are smarter than me, too. Um, so, I, and they have like all of this raw talent and raw energy but they were a little unpolished or they they could do a little bit of polishing. Right. I mean, not, not that they were bad or anything, but they could uh, like a diamond shines really shines when you polish it. Right. So that's, that's how I think about it. They're really, really superbly talented. And as you can see, many of them are in Google and meta and all of these other top tech companies as well. You know, some of them gotten out Amazon, of exactly, Walmart, Amazon. right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, and you know, I like to think that the what I did with them while I was um, work while we were working together, you know, kind of guiding them along um, as they were doing engagement management or pre-sales um, or implementations, right? Uh, hopefully, you know, led to some of that or helped shape their careers. But what I really did think was, um, what could I offer to these resources uh, from my experience, right? That would help them grow because I knew that they were not going to be sticking with Seven Lakes uh, forever, right? But uh, sure, when, exactly, yeah. I mean, uh, well, they would come in and they would build a product and they would lead that product. But after a while, their ambitions could grow, right? And it's never uh, in anybody's interest to kind of limit those ambitions, right, and, and say anything. So my point was, have them, uh, you know, give it's, it's a give and take. So I invested into them in terms of whatever I knew of how, how you would do client management, right? A uh, customer expectations management. Really, uh, uh, you know, figuring out, getting to the some of the principles, leadership principles like uh, action for, uh, you know, a bias for action. Uh, really digging deeper, yep. taking ownership, trying to do more with less, right? Managing customer expectations, but keeping customers' interests always in mind. So some of these leadership principles is what I inculcated in them. And then um, the the rest was up to them. So they learned, they internalized it, and then they grew. And at some point they said, well, well, okay, you know, it's time to move on. But, um, you know, in that time, they, so they were really good. And we have kept in touch after too, in that, you know, I, I felt like I gave them something um, me and you and Shiva and everybody, it's not just me, or the, the only person mentoring them, right? But all of them learned something from us and I learned something from them in terms of, okay, how do you manage such talent, right? And it's always a learning. So that's what I took away from all of that.
0: Empathetic leadership, right? And then also coaching to the level of, these people are in in many cases, like Mensa level geniuses, but being mm-hmm. able to actually channel that focus and capability while maintaining professionalism and, and not having a level of of arrogance is important. And I, I give you a lot of kudos for that. Um, th- those were fun times, man. I, I think back very fondly to those kind of early days at Seven Lakes, you, you know, when you're building something special. Um, and I would say, if anything, my only regret is in some ways, the company grew like too fast. There was a mm-hmm. massive amount of demand. And it's yeah. just really hard to keep to keep up with that where you feel like everything you're doing is like a week behind, not necessarily (laughs) from a delivery perspective, but, Oh man, we need to hire some people. Right. And then you're rushing to hire people because you really needed them last month. Okay. Yeah. We think that this person's going to be on this project, but that person hasn't accepted their offer yet. Right. So um, it was, it was insane and it kind of set the bar for me for um, what a fast growing rocket ship, could look like and candidly, I haven't been with a ton of companies since then that have had the same rate of growth or trajectory I mean from a revenue perspective, from a client count perspective, from a new products added like oh hey, guess what? now we have a pre drill workflow and and rig scheduler application, which I loved. I still think I don't know where that product is if it still exists today. That mm-hmm. was a beautiful product that the industry still has not solved, and I know that was one of yours that that was a fun one. But right. man, yeah. it was it was we what a together. wild time. Yeah, it was it was a wild time. It was a fun time. And I look back very fondly on the, the times that we we spent together. Here's my last question for you, right, before we jump on. Yeah. What advice would you have for your younger self? If you were to sit down right now with 21 year old Jimmy Sebastian, what would you tell him?
1: What I would say is um the the world is full of opportunities right and you can you know you don't have to worry too much about which path you would choose right just take it you know be in the moment you know live the moment and then make the most of the moment without thinking too much into the future and not looking back too much into the past you know with any any regrets or like could have should have kind of a thing just you know, enjoy today, make the most of today, and then things will fall into place. And whatever you do, that is your best life. So this is the uh, you know advice that I would have given myself because I figured this out over the years. It would have made it a little easier if I had known it earlier.
0: Yeah, I I, I think that's good. It's it's that's wise, and this is why we called you Jimmy G. <laughs>
1: you,
0: were, you were a uh, at wisdom at a very young age. Jimmy, wh- where can people find you on, on LinkedIn or websites or any of that stuff?
1: Yeah, so they can, uh, the easiest way to reach me um, is through LinkedIn. Um, I, I mean, I frequently check my LinkedIn and my messages or my email address. I don't have a personal website. My email address is gmail.com uh, Or you can find me on LinkedIn um, and uh, just, you know, connect with me. Looking forward to connecting with uh, everybody, all of your audience too.
0: I love it. Well, I, I think this will probably set off a little bit of a uh, a series. I think I'll do a little bit of a seven lake series. I, I was kicking this around with Shrivon. I think I'm going to have him come on. Um, well, you know, I think Somia, yeah, once she's kind of more established in where her business is at. I don't know what she was doing. I heard he's running like a real estate tech company right now. So. I'll have to reach out to him and, and figure that out. But mm-hmm. um, those were fun times, Jimmy. You were emblematic a lot of, of a lot of the rapid growth, success, and, and effort. And uh, you should be proud of that. And uh, it was really fun having you on today, my man. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Jeremy. It was like a pleasure uh, being here. And also, yeah, I was just thinking about it. We were having so much fun. And time flew. We didn't realize it. So thank you for all the good times. And thank you for having me on the podcast.